Okay. Hello and welcome to the Sport Professor Podcast, the show for the sports student and fan who wants to learn more about the underpinnings of the sporting world. I'm your professor, Dr. Drew Sikansky, and today we will examine the future sport consumer behavior as we deep dive into how the internet has slowly changed how we consume sport and what it means for the future. So if you ever wondered what the next big trend will be in sports media, or how smartphones might continue to shape and change the future of sport, this is the podcast for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Sport Professor Podcast. I want to get into this idea this week of what the future holds for sport consumer behavior or sport consumption in general. We spent a lot of time so far talking about what sport consumer behavior is, who is consuming the sports, what motivates their consumption, how do we use that information uh, as practitioners and apply that in order to maximize the enjoyability of an event for a fan and uh, maximize the likelihood that they will then come again and spend more money. But what I want to focus on today is not that past information and research, but where is this going in the future, and how are teams or sport leagues going to change in the next 5, 10, 20, 100 years? Because if we want to get into this field of sport marketing and sport consumer behavior, we have to not only recognize the trends that have happened in the past, but we also have to be able to apply them to the future, so that way we can be on the cutting edge of what's being done and hopefully differentiate ourselves from everyone else that we are competing against. So with that being said, I want to get into our conversation about the future of sport consumption. And I want to focus on overarching ideas with what the future holds. Let's begin with the internet. And I want you to start by thinking about how is the internet currently used in relation to sport? Because it's only through understanding what's currently going on can we actually project into the future. And it's being used in a number of different ways. Internet's being used to read about sport. This has been fairly common. This was common when I was growing up where people were putting information, news stories out on the internet. I could go on and access that and I could read about it more than ever. Right? I not only was getting the local papers for Columbus, but I could also access the Boston papers and read about my favorite sport teams there. And we still see that happening at a pretty high rate. We see sport-specific content websites that have articles that are out there, both news articles dealing with what's happening on the field, news articles dealing with what's happening off the field. We have articles out there that we can go and read about the business side of sport, about the athlete development side of sport about the management side of sport. There's all this information out there and people have been using the internet today and in, in the recent past to go out and read more of that information. But the internet's not just about reading about sports online. We also use the internet now to watch sports online. Again, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we were just watching highlights. We were downloading those highlights through a series of different sites and we were watching those clips. I remember back when I was in high school, before YouTube had come out, you could go on, you could download clips on things like Morpheus. And I remember downloading clips of dunk contests. So we, even back then, were using the internet to watch sport, but we were using it mostly for replays. Nowadays, in the present time, we are using it to watch sports live. 
right? I can go on a number of different websites. ESPN has a streaming service called ESPN Plus. I can go on to Amazon and watch Thursday night football games through the internet there. I can go on Twitter and actually watch football games, specifically college football games on the internet there. So I'm watching not just those clips, but I'm watching all those sports live. And each individual league in America also has their own website that they put live streams on. So I can go on NBA.com and I can watch the Celtics. It's a great access point currently for us to consume sports. And in fact, it's becoming one of the primary ways that we watch sports is through the internet and through streaming. But all of the good that comes to the consumer with the internet and its use within the consumption of sport does bring with it for the individual producing the content or the team, it does bring uh, certain problems when it comes to understanding and marketing to that consumer. So one of the things that, that becomes really difficult and challenging when our consumers are using the internet is trying to figure out exactly what they are after. We've talked about this idea that if I watch people at sporting events as they're actually at the sporting event consuming it, if I watch their actions, if I watch what they buy, if I pay attention to how they feel and their emotional responses to different stimuli I have throughout the stadium, if I understand that, I can actually get a pretty good picture for who that person is and that will help me figure out exactly what they want. Now, why in marketing is it so important that I know what they want? Because only when I know what they want do I know how to position my product in a way that can hopefully meet that want, that need, that desire, entice them to actually buy it. But if you're shopping online and you're consuming sport online, it becomes much harder for me to gauge that information or get that information from you. Because I don't know what you're doing while you're watching the game. Are you watching, are you streaming a football game on an ESPN app while also doing schoolwork or also shopping for shoes? Are you happy? Are you upset? Are you angry when big plays are occurring? We don't know that basic information about you because you are not coming to the game. Now, we've had this problem historically with television and even before that with having games on radio, but the difference was majority of the consumption was still occurring at the actual venue through being in the stadium. Nowadays, the majority of consumption is not happening at the stadium. It's happening on TV and shifting to the internet, which we don't have a great way to monitor. So we don't know what our fans are after, so then we don't know how to sell them the products that we have. The other big problem with the internet from the side of the sports team or the, the people that are producing the sporting goods is consumers don't have a great way of telling what is true on the internet and what is not. For example, we talked about people consuming news through the internet and going and reading articles. It's becoming harder and harder to tell what's true and what's not true because everyone has access to being able to post information. So the, the two major problems we have with the internet from the sport producer side is that we don't know who the fans exactly are, so we don't know what exactly they're after, what exactly they want, which makes it much harder for us to sell to them and get them to buy our products. And the second being that those individuals that are out there trying to consume through the internet have a very hard time of telling what's true and not true. So the team has to consistently be monitoring what's going on to dispel any type of rumors or bad press that might be out there. One of my favorite quotes from Paco Underhill talking about the internet is, quote, the internet is a respiratory for rumors, half-truths, quarter rumors, air speculation, hypotheses, and racy untruths. These coexist along with facts. How do we tell the two apart becomes the problem, becomes the challenge. And that's something that these sport organizations are having to deal with. 
Now, the other problem that is created out there with the use of the internet is that there's so much information out there that we get overwhelmed by it as consumers. Just think about how many choices that you have on the internet. You can find anything you want. It's not now just that I can only follow my local team through the paper. It's now that I can follow any team in the country or any team in the world at any time I want because there are an endless supply of news articles, of video posts, of blog sites that will talk about your team or the team that you want to read about. And so we have access to so much stuff, but the problem is for the consumer is that when you have too much stuff to choose from, it actually hinders our abilities to choose at all. There's been a lot of research that is done that has talked about this, that's talked about what they call the paradox of choice. So they have found over and over and over again that the more choices you have, the less likely you are to choose anything at all. And this goes a lot to this idea of fear of missing out. We have this fear that if we have a lot of options, if I choose one, I'm going to miss out on every other option. Consider going on Netflix. Netflix has so many options of things to watch. How many of you have gotten on Netflix uh, and you're scrolling through show after show after show and you're saying, well, this new one looks good. Well, maybe this one's good. Or, hey, I thought I wanted to see that movie. You become so overwhelmed with just the pure number of options that you just go and choose something that you've already seen before. Maybe you go back and you choose to watch The Office for the 10th time. Well, the idea is you know exactly what you're getting with The Office. You've seen it so many times before that it's a safe choice. If you were to pick something you didn't know about, a movie you hadn't seen or a show that you had thought you wanted to watch, if you start watching it and you start not liking it, you're actually going to be angry or upset with yourself because you chose something and in choosing something you missed out on all these other things that might have been better. And so the internet does this. It provides us so much choice that sometimes we end up choosing nothing. And I'll give you an example of that. When I go on the internet every morning, there's a couple of sites I go to routinely. And a lot of them are sports sites. And one of the first sites I will go to is ESPN. And then I'll go to The Ringer and then I'll go to SI. Those are the only three sports sites that I really consume the opinion articles or the articles from. Why? Because I know exactly what it is when I'm getting. Now, I might be missing out on all those other things, but because I'm so comfortable with what I have, that's just what I continue to choose. Because maybe if I go onto a new website like Cleaning the Glass and is wanting to read articles there, well, maybe I'll get halfway through an article and be like, gosh, I wish I would have chosen something else because this isn't as good as I thought. So we have so much choice that oftentimes on the internet, we are just driven into doing things that are fairly routine through going through the motions and just choosing the same thing over and over because we don't want to miss out on that thing that we already know about. And so we have to deal with this as sport entities, as sport organizations. We have to figure out how do we get them to continuously just choose us over all the other options out there? Because if I can get them to start to choose me, they will continue to choose me over and over and over again because they're comfortable with me, just like you'll continue to choose to watch a show like The Office over and over again, rather than going out and trying something different. So how do we deal with this issue? Think about it from a consumer standpoint. If you have a choice of movies to go to or movies to watch on Netflix, how do you choose which one to watch? Well, there's two things that we kind of do as humans to try to help us. The first thing that we do is we go to list. We rely on what other people tell us. Think about how many articles come out at the end of the year, the best book of the year, where they give you the top 10 books, the best songs of the year, the best movies of the year. All of those lists, we oftentimes as consumers will go to those and say, oh gosh, I haven't 
consume that movie yet, but everyone else is, so I will. That taps into the second point that we buy what other people are buying. How many of you, if you wanted to go to a movie, would go on to RottenTomatoes.com and see what other people are saying about that movie? Right, Because we're assuming that that other person might have some knowledge that I don't. Maybe they've already experienced it and then buying it is telling me that it's a good product or a good service. So we just go and we buy what everyone else is, is buying because we know in that case that we're not missing out. So we rely on what other people tell us. How many of you in sports start liking a team because everyone else is liking that team? You jump on the bandwagon. That's an idea of buying what other people do. So from a business standpoint, if I understand that that's what people are doing, if that's what people are relying on to make these decisions, when there's so many decisions out there, that means I need to work to get myself onto a list or I can create a list or I can try to spin a media narrative around putting me on a list of having the best quarterbacks of all times or the best in-game stadium experience or the best food. Being on those lists might drive people to choose to consume my sport product over someone else. And then we want to have an active fan base talking about our team through all these different social media platforms on the internet and all of these different blog sites or Reddit threads because if they're talking about it, if I have a fan base that's talking about it, that's telling other people out there that this is what other people are buying and so maybe they will buy in as well. So another issue that we see with the internet specifically with sport is this idea of a global process having relevance to local individuals. Think about something as simple as weather. So weather is a local phenomenon. When I get up in the morning, I check the weather for where I live. I don't care what the weather is going to be like in Portland, Oregon. I don't care what it's going to be like in Boston, Massachusetts. I care what it's going to be like where I am that day because the global process of the weather doesn't have any relevance to what's going on to me individually in my community. So when I choose to consume weather, I'm going to local newspapers or TV channels to get the weather. I'm not going off and turning on um, the National Weather Channel because it could take them 20 minutes to get to talk about where I live or they might never talk about where I live. So I'd much rather go to that local source because it affects me and I don't care about getting the other 20 minutes of the weather about what's going on around the country. So that's this idea of how does a local individual care about that global process? Well, how can I take that idea of a global process in the, in, in the local individual and move it into the world of sports? Well, think about the plethora of TV networks that are out there. We have all of these TV networks that are out there that deal specifically with sports. So we have our kind of our global processes, the ones that cover a little bit of everything, like ESPN, like Fox, like an NBC Sport Network. They're covering a little bit of everything. They're that global process. Now, how much do you care about the global process of sports? Maybe you're just a college football fan. Well, if you're just a college football fan, you're probably only going to turn on ESPN then on the weekends because that's when they're showing games. You don't care about turning it on on Sunday when they're talking about the NFL. You don't care turning it on on Monday when they're talking about the NBA. You don't care about it on Tuesday when they're talking about the NHL. You just care about that single sport. And maybe even more refined, you might not just care about college football. You might only care about the Ohio State Buckeyes. So now why am I going to go to ESPN when they might not talk about the Buckeyes for weeks at a time? I, as that local individual, would rather go to my local sources to gather that information. So we have this struggle within sport of the local individual uh, and how they relate to what's going on across the entire country. 
This has been exacerbated through the creation of all these different cable networks like Nessun, like the Yes Network. We have the SEC Network, the Bin 10 Network, things that are very specific to locals or individuals in those communities. The way the internet ties into all this is the internet makes it easier for me to access the local information even if I am not a local. So I don't live in Columbus, Ohio anymore, but I still am a massive fan of the Ohio State Buckeyes. So if I want to consume the Buckeyes in the past, I would have to do it through a global process. I would have to turn it on to a channel like ESPN, or I'd have to maybe read a newspaper like the USA Today might talk about the Buckeyes every once in a while. Now with the creation of cable TV, I was able to consume them a bit more, right? I could see them on TV and watch games because I could get a national broadcast. Add in now the explosion of the internet. Not only can I watch them more, I can listen to local radio stations even though I don't live in Columbus. I can get on and I can watch the Big Ten Network and I can watch them talk about the Buckeyes all the time. I can get on websites and watch uh, the local sports reports from the channels in Columbus and consume the Buckeyes all I want. So this global process almost doesn't matter to me anymore because I can handpick through the internet which teams I want to follow and I can follow them regardless of where I am in the world. And the internet gives us these capabilities. Now, what does that mean for sports in general? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? I would argue it's a little bit of both. It's a good thing because I'm able to give the consumer exactly what they want. So I don't want to just consume college football. I want to consume the Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm not going to consume the rest. In the past, before we had the internet out there, I would consume college football in general because it was a way for me also to consume the Buckeyes because maybe they're going to talk about Ohio State on that show. So if I watch it, maybe they'll talk about it and it's my way of consuming it. Now, I don't need to consume these global processes. I don't need to consume ESPN. I don't need to watch college football in general. I can just watch my team play, listen to people talk about my team, read articles about my team, and that's it. It empowers the individual, which means that the individual can choose whatever they want, whenever they want, and they are going to be more happy as a consumer. What that creates for us on the business side, though, is it makes it much harder for me to attract that new consumer to my product. In the past, you move to a different city, it's very easy for me to just pick up that city as the team that I cheer for, that that whatever team uh, college is there, whatever professional team, if I just pick them up and I just cheer for them because that's the one I'm, as a local, I'm going to get the most exposure to. Now though, that team, even if I move there, I still might not become a fan because I can be local anywhere through the internet. And so teams have to fight this and have to try to fight to capture new local individuals. They also should know that the global processes, those big entertainment companies in sport like Fox, uh, ESPN, they're having less of an influence on the consumer than ever because more and more consumers are choosing to watch and to focus on things that are only local to them. So the internet creates this environment that's actually become almost harmful for these global companies like ESPN. And we've seen that through the number of layoffs and how they've had to change their focus and go a lot more into entertainment than just showing games and just talking about games. That's why we see an explosion of documentaries that they're doing because they know that they can't compete the internet and these local individuals.
let's dive into the numbers so that way we can get an idea for how people are actually using the internet today. So if we just look at buying items on the internet, let's start there. 51% of Americans, this isn't a 2017 study, 51% of Americans said they actually prefer shopping online rather than in stores. And that makes sense. A lot of us prefer to shop online because we can do it from home. It's comfortable. I can price compare. I can make sure I get the best bargain. It's really great from that consumer standpoint. If we break it down generationally, 67% of millennials and 56% of Generation X prefer to shop online rather than in stores. So not only do over half of Americans prefer shopping online, but the younger generation, the younger population is doing it more than ever. What does that mean for sports? Well, think about the main way that people are going about buying tickets now. We are going more and more to a model of buying tickets through the internet, through going to these different websites, whether it's a, a ticketmaster.com, whether it's something like SeatGeek, whatever it is, we are going more and more to tickets online. And you can see that it's trending that the younger people uh, prefer that. And so if I want to sell to that audience, if I want that audience or that group of people, that target market to buy the product, I need to make sure I have very readily available methods for those individuals to buy my products, or in this case, buy my sport tickets online. Even more so than just people preferring it, 95% of Americans say that they shop online at least once a year. So Almost every American says that they shop online at least once a year. 80% of people say that they do it monthly. 30% of people say they do it weekly. And 5% of people say that they do it daily. So not only do people prefer to shop online, but they're doing it at alarmingly high rates. This means for a sport organization, they need to be selling every product that they have online as well as in person. Because if I'm not selling it online, uh, then I'm not capturing the full value that I could from my team. So that means I need to be selling tickets online. That means I need to be selling merchandise online. That means I probably need to be selling or streaming of the game online as well. Because part of those numbers are you going online and buying the Tiger versus Phil pay-per-view. Are you going online and paying for NBA TV so you can watch your NBA games? Now, a lot of people are doing it, but how much money are they spending? Parents spend 61% more money online than non-parents. Parents, on average, spend $1,071 compared to only $664 for non-parents. Why the difference? Well, parents have less free time. They have kids. They have not only to take care of their kids, but they have activities that they're doing with them. And so the amount of free time that the parent has is far less than the non-parent. So the parent relies more on the internet to shop and go buy things. And it could be something as simple as buying groceries online, or maybe it's buying presents online for the holidays. The parents will spend 61% more. That's significant. Now that also means, again, if I'm trying to sell a sports product to a sport consumer online, I should try to market the parents because they're willing to buy stuff online more than the non-parents. So I can do certain targeted marketing campaigns to try to attract parents knowing this information. Another piece of information about buying on the internet, men reported spending 28% more online than women during the last year. From a sport consumer standpoint, I should be able to use this information to try to capitalize on who's using the internet to consume. So if men are spending more money, I should be doing targeted marketing ads at men. I should be doing targeted marketing ads at parents because they spend more money than non-parents. And finally, I should be doing targeted marketing ads at millennials because 67% of them prefer shopping online. 
So men that are millennials that are parents, that's kind of a prime maybe audience that, that we can look at moving forward to try to sell our products to online. To be able to fully understand how I can capitalize on these numbers that we've talked about, we need to also understand how individuals are using the internet to shop so that way I position my products so that they might want to buy it. So how are we using the internet today to buy? And not just how we're using the internet today, but how are we going to be using the internet in the future to buy? Or what are we going to be buying? Well, one of the big trends that we're seeing is this drastically increasing secondary market for selling tickets. So we're using the internet more than ever now to buy tickets. In fact, it is the primary way that individuals are purchasing tickets to contest. One of the things that as a sport entity that I need to be aware of is that consumers need to have some type of verification that what they're spending their money on is what that is what they're actually going to get. In other words, consumers need to have assurities that when they buy a ticket, it is a real ticket and that they will actually be awarded that ticket to enter the game. Because as we've already mentioned, there's so much false information out there. There's so many of these secondary sites. It's hard to know what is true and what is false. It's hard to know what, what someone's selling is an actual ticket or is it a forgery? And so we're using these secondary ticket markets to buy all these tickets, which is great because it's giving more and more people access. It's oftentimes saving individuals money or giving them good deals. But if a fan buys a ticket on there that's fake and they don't get to come into the game, regardless of if you as the league or if you as a team had anything to do with that, the fan is going to hold you accountable for that. The fan is going to be upset with you and the ticket site. And as soon as they have the negative perception of you, you're at jeopardy of losing that fan for life. And so that's one of these big challenges that this secondary market is creating. Now, teams, leagues are working to get around this through having official sponsorship deals with certain websites. So for example, I went to an NFL game earlier this year and I bought my ticket through Ticketmaster. Why? Because Ticketmaster is the official resale site of the NFL. I am guaranteed that that ticket is an actual ticket to the game. Now, you can go on to other sites, you can go on to, to stuff like StubHub, and you can probably get it for about the exact same price or maybe a little bit less, but you don't have that assurity that that ticket is what they're saying it is. And so leagues have looked to establish partnerships, and I imagine that that will continue in the future. There's a number of other problems with the secondary market from the team standpoint or the league standpoint. The first of those is that I'm missing out on the money. If I sell a ticket as a team for $200 and then someone turns around and sells it for $300, I lost out on that $100. And so the teams don't like that they're losing out on the money considering they're the ones that are producing the product on the field. So that's a problem with the secondary market. It's another reason that we've seen this team up between sites like StubHub and Ticketmaster and these leagues because by teaming up, the league is able to actually get some of that money back on that secondary market. The other major problem that we have with the secondary market is that the team is missing out on gathering a ton of data about fans. When a team sells tickets on their website or the NFL sells tickets through their website, they are able to gather a lot of information on you. So let's say you were to buy tickets to the New England Patriots this weekend. You buy a ticket through the Patriots online site. Patriots now know my name, my email address. They now know that I'm a fan of the team or I'm probably a fan of the team since I'm coming to the game. 
So they have all this information about me and now they can start targeting me specifically with ad campaigns, right? They can send me emails about upcoming events that I might want to attend. They might send me an invitation to buy more ticket. They might send me links to merchandise that I can buy. They have that information readily available to them, so now they can target me specifically. They can come after me and they can hope to get more money from me. But if I were to go onto, let's say, StubHub and buy that same ticket, the team does not have that information on me anymore. StubHub has that information on me. StubHub now has that I'm a Patriots fan, that I attended this game on this day, that I spent this much money. So StubHub now has all this data on me, and so now StubHub can use that information to sell me more tickets, rather than the Patriots having that information on me and the Patriots using that information to sell it. So not only are they losing out on that initial money, without collecting that data, they're losing out on potential future money. And so again, by establishing a deal between Ticketmaster and the NFL, the NFL is able to keep some of that data. They're able to get access to that so that they they can continue to sell to that fan. But if you go through another site, they're not gaining that information on you. They can't sell that ticket to you. So they're losing out on not only that game, but also all those future opportunities. In the future, I would see more and more teams and more and more leagues going to these individuals on the secondary market, making deals with them so that way they can retain some more of that money and more importantly, get that data. The internet also gives us access not only to buying tickets to games, it also gives us access to the athletes themselves. And this is in large part through social media. And and social media is interesting because it does fulfill kind of one of our basic human social needs, and that is the need to be in contact with people. It allows us to get into contact with people very easily to follow them, to see what they're doing in a way that makes us, even though we're not physically there with them or talking to them, it makes us feel connected to someone else. Now, that's great, and it can have a lot of really great outcomes to it. In sports as well, and sports are not excluded from that because we can feel connected more and more, not only to our team through social media, but to our favorite athletes. So think about who you might follow on social media. I follow Tom Brady on Instagram. When he posts a picture or a story, I feel more connected to him as a fan because I feel more part of his life through seeing those things. And athletes can use that to their advantage to make them feel more attached. And then hopefully the athlete will be able to capitalize on that because they'll be able to successfully now sell that fan stuff that they're using. So Tom Brady posts a lot of stuff about the TB12 method. Well, people are probably going to buy it just because they feel connected to him through social media and they want to support him individually. Teams do use this as well to establish that same connection through posting on all these different social media sites. They are making fans feel more and more part of the team. They're making them feel like they're getting inside access through posting clips from the locker room or clips from behind the scenes or clips from practice or or pregame workouts. The fan now feels more connected to that team and that connection creates more of an identity in which fans want to consume more and more of the sport because they feel like that sport or that team is more and more part of them. So we have these positive aspects that the internet has given us with social media, but it also brings with it challenges because social media transforms how we communicate and the level of intimacy that we have. So we might feel much more intimate with someone or something, even though we don't know them directly or have that contact. That means not only those emotional highs of feeling really happy for them and wanting to celebrate them or wanting to celebrate our team, but also more and more of those lows. Uh, And as a result of social media, we also have much more access to people than ever, much more access to uh, athletes, much more access to teams which can be good and bad. From a team standpoint, if we're doing well, that's great because we can see all the positive feedback. But if we're suffering and going through a losing streak or having problems in the front office, 
we have more and more access now to what people are saying about us and we have more direct access to our fans have to hear about that. So we have to have practices in place to deal with both the positive side and the negative side of that access that we're granting. Now, in talking about social media, one of the things that we should consider for the future is which forms of social media are best for sport organizations, for athletes, for sport teams. So all the forms of social media have functions that they do better than the others, and they have reasons that individuals should choose them. It says individuals looking to go work at a sport organization, one of the best things for you to do is to really hone your social media skills. This isn't through the creation of your own personal account, but maybe the creation of of a more business account. We are not tweeting or Instagramming pictures out there about what's going on in your daily life, but you're showing things within sport because sport entities really want individuals in their marketing department who are proficient with all forms of social media because more and more people are going to social media to get their news, to get their content, to hear about events. And if we have individuals who are proficient in those um, different mediums, we're going to be more successful as a sport team. One of the things in the future I'll also say is that we don't know what the next form of social media that's going to be big is going to be. We've had different things pop up over the years. Some have stuck, some haven't. Snapchat is something that has done a fairly good job of sticking and still used by a large number of people. But if we look back, we had something like Vine. Vine was something that was really popular for a short period of time and then went away. So make sure that if you want to get into this, not only are you proficient, but that you're paying attention to what the trends are in social media to try to make sure you can establish what is going to be the next big thing so you can stay a step ahead and hopefully utilize that as a tool to help sell your sport entity as it starts to become a bigger and bigger deal. With all that being said about what's going on and how people use the internet to consume sport, real question is, what is the future of this combination of the internet in its connection to sport. And I think what we're gonna see is not only more and more individuals maybe using social media like we just talked about to promote it, but what we're gonna see is more and more live streams of games. We're gonna see more and more teams, leagues, conferences and colleges putting their games out on the internet because I think they're going to realize that more and more people are reliant on the internet to consume and watch sport rather than on TV. We've already started to see this a little bit, right? We have uh, Yahoo back a couple years ago signed an exclusive deal with the NFL to live stream game between the Bills and Jacksonville that was being played over in Wembley Stadium. We saw Twitter had a deal with the NFL to broadcast Thursday night games for a million dollars a year. Now we have Amazon has a deal to broadcast select Thursday night games throughout the entire season. So why do I think that this is a trend that's going to continue where we're going to see more and more entities moving that way? Because more and more people are getting rid of cable, more and more people are becoming reliant on their computer to watch and consume sport, and more and more people are willing to buy sport through their computer. So more and more people are willing to buy an ESPN Plus uh, streaming service and and buy it through their computer and watch it on their computer exclusively. So I think you're going to see more and more of these entities doing that. Now, who are those companies going to be that are going to really want to get into this live streaming? Well, we've already seen Amazon do it, as I mentioned, with the NFL. I think Amazon is going to probably try to continue to grow its sports sector. We have seen Facebook dabble in it with things like Facebook Live. Facebook has a bunch of content that they've created around sports. So things like the Ball family has their own TV show through that. You have Marshawn Lynch have a TV show up on Facebook. And so they've already dabbled in this idea of of dipping their toe in the water with creating sport-related content. The next thing I think they're really going to get big into 
is getting live rights to different contests. You're going to see Apple get into it as well. So you're going to have three of your biggest internet companies in Amazon, Apple, and Facebook all vying for live right deals. Apple TV has already announced that they're trying to put together a TV service that will include channels like ABC, CBS, and Fox that I can just buy through my Apple TV and pay for through them so I can now watch sport that is playing on those channels through that streaming service. So you're going to see more and more of these streaming services start to offer sport. And we're also going to see the internet be used more and more, not just on computers, but continue to increase usage on smartphones and devices. Think about what you use your smartphone for in today's world. Not only do we use it for communication, to call people, to text people, whatever it might be, but we also use it as our wallet. We have Apple Pay that's right on there. I can pay directly through my phone. We use it as a wallet through apps like PayPal or Venmo, where I can electronically pay people as I'm sitting there. So I don't need to even carry a wallet anymore. We use it to bypass traditional media. So we consume media through the phone, whether it's reading a story, listening to a podcast, or even watching live TV. Uh, I can listen to the radio on my phone. So I don't need any forms of traditional media. I, I can do it all on my smartphone. And they're becoming so sophisticated now that the one of the questions really needs to be is what are we going to be using our smartphones for in the future? What are we using our telephones for in the future? What other possibilities are there out there? Not only do we allow streaming options now, but now we're getting into smartphones that do things with virtual reality. So the smartphone is going to continue to progress over time, and that's going to be one of the big differences in how we consume sports. But hopefully through this podcast, you've started to understand some of the other ways that we're consuming sports now and how those might change in the future. We've offered some ideas here about what those changes might look like and how sport producers might be able to capitalize. But what ideas do you have after listening to this podcast? What ideas do you have about how consumption is going to change in the future? If this podcast has sparked any, please feel free to reach out to me and share your thoughts on Instagram at The Sport Professor. I look forward to hearing from you. And until then, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Sport Professor Podcast.